Just Checking, an OCD podcast featuring stories from sufferers of obsessive-compulsive disorder. OCD is a disorder that affects millions of people to varying degrees, characterized by an obsession over intrusive thought, and usually some sort of maladaptive compulsion. On this podcast, every week we feature the story of a sufferer and follow their unique experience with OCD. My name is Alan Campbell. Let's get started. Good evening, friends. So, I'm really excited to be here with you this week for our first full-length episode. Happy to report that we have our first few guests lined up behind the scenes, so we are currently in talks with them, sort of setting up the outline of what their shows are going to look like, discussing with them what they want to talk about, and we got some cool topics on the horizon, so I am excited to have them on. For this week, what I want to talk about, though, is sort of my own experience, and I want to do a few readings that I think are going to really uh, help you understand sort of where I'm coming from as a host and as a sufferer. Uh, One of the books that I'm going to do a few readings from this week is, it's a very, very important book that I think everyone should own, um, suffer, or just people who are curious, or people who are in the field. Uh, It is by Dr. John Hirschfield and Dr. Tom Corboy. The title of this book is The Mindfulness Workbook for OCD. So let me talk about mindfulness for a second, because mindfulness is something that is quickly becoming a very important and very prevalent topic whenever you're talking about mental health recovery and mental health treatment. So you say mindfulness, and the word that always follows that is meditation. And so people sort of recoil when you start talking about mindfulness and meditation, because what immediately comes to mind whenever you start talking about those two things is, uh, you know, the spiritual or religious connotations of those two words. And I, I can't stress enough that when you're talking about these two things in the field of mental health recovery, it has absolutely nothing to do with anything spiritual or anything religious. All mindfulness is, as a base practice, is just being aware of how thoughts come into your brain. It's taking some time out of your day to to just examine what thoughts are entering your brain, why they're entering your brain, and what they mean to you as a person because they are entering your brain. This is so, so important for OCD sufferers because the O part of OCD, the obsession part, can sometimes really cause us to doubt who we are and sometimes cast doubt on how we think about ourselves and how we want to be treated by others and they can just really do some nasty things to our self-worth and to our to our self-perception so one of the things that I'm going to talk about today is going to be the various types of OCD the various forms that the O the obsession can take but some some obsessions can can really do some seriously damaging things to how we perceive ourselves things like relationship OCD just as an example you know an obsession over do I love my spouse am I with the right person are my feelings for my spouse or my partner legitimate you know that can really damage how you uh, sort of interpret yourself as an individual because by the very nature of that obsession right that's casting doubt on who you are and what your motivations are so all mindfulness is is just learning to look at a thought like that to look at an obsessive thought an intrusive thought like do I care for my spouse and just treat it as a thought and nothing else. It is just a thought that is coming into your head. It is just noise. It doesn't necessarily represent what you think. And so the illustration that I'm going to use to convey this concept to sort of help you get your head around what I'm trying to talk about, uh, I'm just going to lift this straight. Again, this is from the Mindfulness Workbook for OCD. Great book. But um, this is an illustration from really early on in the book. So let me walk you through what the authors want you to think about. So picture a bookshelf in a dark room. It's a bookshelf not filled with books, but filled with thoughts that a person can have throughout the day. This is a bookshelf full of thoughts that is in a dark room. 
now think of a spotlight being shown on that bookshelf. And the spotlight represents the thoughts that you are paying attention to, the thoughts that you are aware that you are having, or the thoughts that you give any weight to, or even recognize as a valid thought that's popping into your head. Okay? So for the average mind, uh, the average person, the non-OCD sufferer, what their spotlight might shine on is just a few books in the middle of the shelf. The only thoughts that they're really giving any credence to are the, you know, the regular thoughts like, hmm, what should I have for lunch? Uh, what do I want to do today? Uh, you know, is, does my hair look okay? Average thoughts like that, that it is perfectly normal to be concerned with, um, thoughts that everyone concern themselves with, right? So now think of what the spotlight of an OCD sufferer might look like. And unfortunately, what we see is that the spotlight for an OCD sufferer covers pretty much the entire bookshelf. And so you have your books all the way at the edges of the shelf, your thoughts all the way at the edges, all the way at the fringes. And that's the really intrusive, really damaging stuff, like I'm going to hurt someone today, or I'm going to get a horrible illness and die. And the truth of it is that these thoughts, these books, they are on everyone's bookshelf. They are on everyone's bookshelf right there at the fringes. The only difference is that the average mind, the non-OCD sufferer mind, their spotlight is not broad enough to even give any weight at all to those books. Those thoughts are there, but when those thoughts pop into the average person's head, they do not give them any weight at all because they use the wonderful power of denial to just do away with those. And their mind lets them do that. But unfortunately, the mind of an OCD sufferer, our spotlight just shines too brightly on every single corner of that shelf, and we cannot let it go. So those books that are all the way at the fringes, that really, really damaging stuff. Am I a bad person? Am I going to kill someone? Do I love my spouse? Things like that. We, Our light shines so brightly on the fringes of that bookshelf that we just cannot let it go. So... What types of thoughts do sit at the edge of that bookshelf, right? I've alluded to it a couple times, but I want to go into detail because one of the best things that this book does is for each type of OCD, there is a chapter of the book and there is a checklist for that chapter. Uh, and it lays out each type of OCD type by type, each type of thought, each type of book that can sit at the fringes of your bookshelf. And it just lays it out tick by tick and it makes it so clear. This was such an enlightening book for me to read. Because for years, I had been dealing with all these symptoms that I didn't even know were tied into my OCD, right? I had been diagnosed, but there were so many aspects of my life that I didn't even know were related to that. And this workbook and its advice on mindfulness really, really helped me sort of lay that all out. Because again, it's not just about recognizing what's OCD and feeling bad for yourself that you're so stricken with OCD that it's just, you know, it takes up so much of your life. It's about recognizing what is part of OCD, so that you can then sort of put that into your daily mindfulness practices and learn to take those thoughts as no big deal. Learn to just take those thoughts as things that are going in and out of your head, don't mean anything, no big deal. Just a thought doesn't have any importance until you give weight to it. But that's unfortunately what OCD does, right, is it makes us give weight to it through these maladaptive compulsions, through obsessing over these thoughts day in, day out. So what I want to do now is I want to sort of just lay out I'm not going to read, but I'm going to browse chapter by chapter, and I just want to sort of, because I just think it's so interesting, I just want to go through type by type and lay out what each type can represent to you. I'm not going to be going through all of them, partly because some of these chapters are a little heavy for today and a little outside our scope and require a lot more thoughtful discussion than I can give it in a half hour, partly because some of these chapters are so interesting and we already have guests lined up to talk about them that I would rather right away tell the story of that corner of OCD 
through that person's experience and not sort of give away the surprise. But the ones that I'm going to read to you today mostly resonate specifically really, really well with me. These are ones that I can talk about specifically that have really affected me throughout my life. And the first one is uh, contamination OCD. This isn't one that necessarily resonates with me, but this is one of the first thing that jumps into people's minds when they start thinking about OCD. This is one of the most common, uh, I'm not sure if it's actually common in the sufferer base, but for whatever reason, it's sort of what people tend to jump to when they think about OCD. So contamination OCD. Um, this is just a hyper-awareness of the cleanliness of the environment around you. Things like the presence of dangerous diseases in the environment around you, things like germs in the environment around you, dirt, mud in the environment around you, things like that. So uh, what these authors write in the Mindfulness Workbook is that typical triggers for contamination OCD can include uh, items used by the public, so doorknobs, light switches, uh, car door handles like that. Uh, blood can be a big trigger, anything that could be near blood or cause blood to appear, including needles, bandages, or doctor's offices. Uh, poison, anything perceived as poisonous, so this can include things like household cleaning materials or prescription drugs that are laying around. Uh, alcohol or other drugs, uh, anything associated with illness. And so some of the symptoms that they see resulting from the awareness of these items around you, of these triggers, is things like fear of getting sick or diseased, um, fear of having to do extensive washing rituals, uh, fear of spreading germs to others, fear of the feeling of disgust, fear of later feeling avoidant of valued items that you have touched. That's not something that I can resonate with specifically with contamination OCD, but that is definitely something that I have dealt with with other types of OCD in the past, and it can get really rough to feel like your own possessions are sort of off limits to you for one reason or another. Jeez. Uh, so, and again, I'm pretty much just reading um, those items, those triggers and symptoms straight from the Mindfulness Workbook. So, uh, yeah, that's something that resonates with a lot of people, but again, I want to stress that that is a relatively small cross-section of OCD sufferers. Contamination OCD is by no means the majority. Um, I would say it's, in terms of prevalence, in terms of sufferers that I have encountered and talked with personally, I would even say that's relatively scarce, honestly. That seems to be not something that is well represented within the actual community of sufferers. So I would love to talk to some contamination sufferers because I honestly haven't met that many. And so it's honestly a little tough for me to sort of truly understand their mindset and their obsessions sometimes just because I really haven't spoken to that many contamination OCD sufferers. So the next chapter that I get into is responsibility or checking OCD. This one is super, super tough for me. I'll talk a little bit more about it later in the podcast, but this is something that has really just, I've carried it with me through my entire life. It is by far uh, the, you know, the worst thing on my plate in terms of my OCD recovery. So people who have responsibility or checking OCD, that's where the name of the podcast comes from. Haha, <laughs> just checking. So, um... The, what checking OCD is all about is feeling like you are just hyper responsible for the circumstances of the environment around you. Um, the most common example that I would give that I think everyone can relate to is, did I leave the stove on today? For most people, it's, did I leave the stove on today? I don't think so. It's no big deal. But oftentimes, and for me, and for many OCD sufferers, what this can snowball into is, again, just this hyper awareness of, did I leave the stove on today? Hmm, if not, my kitchen's probably going to catch on fire, my house is probably going to burn down, my pets are probably going to die, and then we just snowball and snowball from there. Um, it gets really rough. And again, by nature of this being an obsessive thought, it just does not leave our mind. It refuses to leave our mind. So, uh, just reading from the book, uh, typical obsessions related to responsibility or checking OCD include fear that lockable items have not been truly locked. So... 
I'm just going to go ahead and sort of interject myself into here rather than saving all that for later. Fear that lockable items have not been truly locked. Um, so I have to confess to you guys that I am late for work super frequently and my principal hates it. Uh, I'm supposed to be at school at 7.30 every single day. Most days it's closer to 7.40 or 7.45. Why is that? Do I sleep through my alarm? Well, no. Usually the reason is that so to get to work on time, I have to leave my house by about 6.30. Usually by about 6.20, I am at my front door ready to go. Backpack on my back, alarm is set, everything is all good. But it takes me usually, and 10 minutes is a good morning. So when it takes me only 10 minutes to get through these rituals, that's a pretty good morning. That's me still getting to work on time. But oftentimes what happens is just checking the lock on the door. And I will stand there in front of the lock on the door and just turn it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, locked and unlocked, locked and unlocked, locked and unlocked for minutes upon minutes upon minutes, just way more time than any person should ever devote to a door lock. Because what I'm snowballing to in my head is that if I don't check this door lock, if I don't make absolutely positive that this door is locked behind me, then what's going to happen? Well, someone's going to break into my house. My cat's going to get out. My cat's going to die. They're going to take all my valuable stuff. I'm not going to be able to be a teacher anymore because they're going to have stolen all my teaching materials. I'm not going to be able to do the podcast anymore. I'm not going to be able to go through with any of the hobbies that I enjoy in my free time, things like that. It just snowballs and it becomes a huge source of anxiety. And I tell myself, well, if I just check my door one more time, if I just turn the lock back and forth on my door one more time, then I can be sure that it's locked. Only then can I be positive that it's locked. So that that's a rough one. Um, fear that appliances have been left on. That's another one they list in the book, Stoves, Faucets. Uh, again, I, I sort of talked about how I feel about the stove. You know, have to check it so many times or my house will burn down, yada, yada, yada. It gets really rough. Fear that parking brakes or other safety measures have not been properly secured. Again, when I read this chapter for the first time, I just bawled like an infant because every single one of these was finally describing in concrete terms exactly what I had been experiencing week to week. Just totally mind-blowing that, that something that was a mystery to me for so long could be laid out so clearly in a book. So by the time, so, so again, so it takes me a little while to leave the house. Between checking the lock on the door and checking the stove and all that, it takes me a little while. Once I get to work, I'm not done yet with the compulsions, not done yet. Because getting out of my car is a matter of, okay, is my car in first gear? Is my parking brake up? Are my headlights off? If I don't check my headlights, then my battery's going to die. I'm going to be stuck at work an hour from home, not going to be able to get home to take care of my son. Things are going to fall apart, yada, yada. Again, snowballs. It's the snowball effect. That's what we all struggle with, okay? Uh, if my parking brake's not on, then my car's going to roll forward into the car in front of me, and I'm not going to be able to pay for the damages, and yada, yada, yada. Snowball, 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 right? Here's another fun one that they list in the book. Fear that correspondence, email, text, letters, and so on was improperly sent or contained the wrong information. And boy, is this one hard to convey to people who don't have direct experience with this kind of OCD. So, uh, just a personal anecdote. Um, I'm applying for graduate school right now. I'm applying for grad programs all around the county. And a big part of what that entails is sending personalized letters to professors around the country just to introduce myself and touch base and hopefully get an opportunity to get some FaceTime in. And sending send on those emails, hitting the send button on those emails can be such an endeavor sometimes because I have to carefully read each line of the email very carefully because my fear 
is that somewhere in that email, I have written some horrible, horrible profanity that there will be no coming back from, that it will just irreparably damage my reputation with this person, that I will have just called them some sort of awful name or used some sort of awful word unintentionally, just had it slipped in there somehow. Again, that's the intrusive thought, that somehow I put some really, really awful correspondence in this email. It can take me forever to send emails, and sending letters is even worse, because God, all, all the time that I have to check in on that, between the time I write the letter and between the time I actually mail it off at the post office, it can take me forever to send mail. It just gets so bad because the thoughts just snowball and snowball and snowball. Um, typical compulsions that they list in the book for responsibility or checking OCD involve uh, visual, checking of, visual checking of items in a repeated or ritualistic manner. So I sort of mentioned before how I will stand at the door on my way out and just lock it and unlock it and lock it and unlock it just over and over and over. Sometimes what that involves, though, is just looking at the lock and just telling myself repeatedly in my head, okay, it's locked, it's locked, it's locked. Uh, tapping or repeated touching of items to ensure that they are locked or off. I get into that sometimes as well. Um, some days rather than actually flip the switches, I'll just be tapping on the door lock or tapping on the stove switch. Again, I know this sounds just nutter butters to people who don't have direct experience with OCD, but I think this is a really common thing that most sufferers can sympathize with. Um, it's a lot more common than you think. Uh, returning to check items after leaving in order to ensure that they are in the locked or off position. So sometimes I'll even get to my car, I'll make it out the door, and then I have to get back out, go back inside, disarm the alarm, unlock the door, so that I can then recheck that the door is locked. It sounds crazy, but it takes up a half hour of my morning sometimes, or even more. Um, reassurance seeking from others that things have been properly checked. So reassurance seeking, this is a big thing that we'll just have a full episode on in the future. Uh, reassurance seeking is something that all sufferers struggle a lot with, but that is definitely something that I have encountered with specific regard to responsibility and checking OCD. And the last one that they, le uh, that they list is mental review of checking behaviors to gain a sense of certainty that they were appropriately checked. So even after I have made it to the car, I'm sitting in the car, I've managed to convince myself that the door is locked, managed to convince myself that the stove is off, I'll then sit there in my car for 10 minutes some mornings just reviewing the checking procedures that I went through for that morning to make sure that I'm all good, to make sure the door is locked, to make sure the stove is off, everything along those lines, and it just even turns into a mental game sometimes, okay? So that's all I'm going to say about responsibility and checking OCD for this week. I'm going to move on to the next chapter, but I'm sure I have a lot more to say about that. You can sort of tell it's a passionate topic of mine, so I'll be sure to circle back around to that in the future. Hopefully we'll have some guests that'll feature responsibility in checking OCD, and I can talk a lot more about myself, God knows, in the future if I need to. So for now, let's move on to the next chapter in this book, okay? So I'm just going to do two or three more chapters for today, okay? And then I promise I'll stop reading at you. Uh, so Just Write OCD. Just Write OCD is the next chapter that they cover in this book, okay? This one is a little hard to describe, um, but this is sort of a little bit, not quite, but it's a little bit what people are talking about when they talk about your typical OCD sufferer who has to, for example, uh, line up all their pencils just right on their desk. But what's interesting to me, what I have encountered both in my own struggles and in talking to other sufferers of just right OCD, is that sort of contrary to how it's conveyed in the media, just right OCD doesn't always mean lining things up symmetrically or lining things up at right angles or lining things up perfectly. What's often really bizarre is that our brain conjures what our brain thinks, quote, just right is. And we have to conform to that, rather that's, you know, whether that's actually being tidy or not. 
we have to just conform to what our brain tells us is just right. So rather than ramble on, um, let me read again what the triggers that they list in the book for just right OCD can be. Uh, they list an awareness that an object or behavior is not symmetrical with another object or behavior. Uh, so symmetry can be a big thing for a lot of sufferers. You're, you'll hear a lot of people talk about that. Hopefully we'll have some guests on that can speak more specifically to that than I can. Uh, a feeling of unease when completing a routine activity. A concern that an item does not belong in a specific location. And I think that last one is the only one that I can speak to personally. Uh, my wife will often come into the room and, you know, give me some flack because she'll see me just moving an item from one part of the room to the other for no real reason. Not that it serves a better purpose on one end of the, on one end of the room versus the other, but just that for whatever reason, I feel at that point in time like it needs to be there. And that's hard to describe, and I know that sounds like a, a small thing. Um, but again, just right OCD, it doesn't necessarily mean symmetrical. It doesn't necessarily mean right angles. It means that our brains feed us an intrusive thought that things are not the way that they should be with our physical surroundings. And we need to change them in some way to suit our brain's image of what just right is for us. So it can be a little rough. Hopefully we'll have some people on that can speak to that a little more accurately than I can. But so some of the compulsions that they list for just right OCD include... Um, Fixing objects to look right in a given space, for example, straightening a picture frame or lining things up perfectly on a desk. I know that's a common thing that you hear in the media a lot. Uh, repeating a behavior that has been done on one side on the other side, for example, tapping your right leg after noticing that you've just tapped your left leg. Repeating a behavior to feel right, for example, repeating walking through a doorway or shutting a drawer. And finally, checking to see if things appear as you feel they should. For example, reviewing the placement of two pillows on a bed to make sure they are in the perfect position. So that last one is kind of the only one that I can speak to specifically. Um, I rambled on about that a few minutes ago. But again, hopefully we'll have some guests on that can enlighten us a little more about Just Right OCD. But that's also very common. I've spoken to a lot of sufferers of Just Right OCD. And I'm hoping that I can give you guys a chance to talk to them as well. Um, the last one that I'm going to talk about today is Harm OCD. I know I allude to this a lot in the opening monologue. Um, and I, you know, here and there, I'll just sort of drop things about harm OCD. This is something that I've struggled with here and there, um, more than my own experiences. I've just talked to a lot of people who deal with harm OCD because mindfulness ties into harm OCD probably more than anything I've talked about so far, because harm OCD is the first one that I've talked about so far today that can really cause you to cast doubt on who you are as a person. Um, let me just go ahead and list off some of the obsessions that they list in the book for harm OCD. Uh, fear of suddenly snapping and violently attacking another person or yourself. Fear of harming a dependent or loved one, for example, a parent fearing harming his newborn. Fear of failing to respond to violent thoughts appropriately. Fear of having and acting out an uncontrollable urge to push someone into traffic, to jump out a window, or to follow some other impulse that would result in responsibility for a tragedy. Fear of being overwhelmed by harm thoughts and choosing to act on them to relieve pressure. So there's a few more, but I'm just going to stop there because I think you get the gist. So this just seems really dangerous to me, and I've always been relatively grateful that as far as types of OCD go, I'm not particularly afflicted by harm OCD because, it, again, it just seems so scary to have these obtrusive thoughts that cast such doubt on who you are as a person that cause you to doubt what your motivations are, what you're going to do today, what you're going to want to do by the end of the day. Uh, and again, mindfulness is so valuable um, for something like this because it allows you to look at thoughts that are entering your stream of consciousness, 
look at thoughts uh, like ones resulting from harm OCD and examine those and think about, okay, is that actually representative of who I am as a person, right? So some of the compulsions that they list that are typically related to harm OCD include uh, avoidance of people, items, places, or information that trigger the, un uh, the unwanted harm thoughts. So um, media that discusses violence, uh, things like that, avoidance of the news is a really common one. Uh, avoiding situations in which spontaneous acting out of harm thoughts would be possible. For example, giving a child a bath. Um, I know that I, you know, I, I talked to a friend at one point who he got a he got a newborn puppy at one point, and he found that he was having trouble even holding his newborn puppy uh, because he was so afraid that he would cause harm to this fragile animal. Uh, I know that my son was just born last year, and um, to a certain degree, I don't think to an unhealthy degree, but I can definitely sympathize with the idea, you know, holding a newborn baby, the the power that you have over that creature, and the amount of harm that you could inflict, that can be really taxing on your psyche if you're an OCD sufferer, because you just have OCD feeding you those thoughts one after the other. Well, you know, am I going to harm this baby? Am I a danger to the people around me? I mean, that can be really taxing on you as an individual. I can definitely understand that. Um, so again, hopefully we'll have some people on in the future who can speak more specifically to things like harm OCD and just right OCD than I can. But uh, so just to, to finish up here, I have one more reading for you guys. I know I'm just reading a lot this week, but we're sort of just getting started. We're still getting our guests lined up behind the scenes here. They're on the way. I'm excited about them. For, but for this week, um, I, I just have some readings for you. And the last one that I have is one of the most accurate descriptors of my personal struggles that I have ever read um, because it just describes the way that when you are young these symptoms these obsessions these compulsions they can seem pretty harmless at first um, and this is why most people don't even get diagnosed until they've been suffering for years and years and years and years and years because these a lot of these compulsions can seem relatively normal when they first start to invade your life it's only when they snowball and snowball and snowball into these things that just overtake your entire day and convince you that if you don't act on these compulsions then the world is going to end in catastrophe it's only when it gets to that point that you start to realize wow this is something that i need help for so i forget exactly where i found this this is just one of my clippings that i've read over the years but i'm just going to do a reading this is from a blog that i read a long time ago so the author writes I remember, before I had lost my baby teeth, having a sincere love of reading. When Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone came out, I devoured it in a single day. The second book came out when I was eight, and in one sitting I reread the first book and then finished the second. I am nine years old, and my mother comes home from the bookstore with a fresh copy of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I patiently stow the book on the shelf and retrieve the first book plopping down onto my bunk bed and propping myself up against the wall to begin my tradition of rereading the previous books before I embark on the latest adventure. I read one page, and another, and then another, and a fourth, and then I lick my thumb, grab the corner of the next page, and turn it over to read the next paragraph. Only, I'm not sure if this is the next paragraph. Have I skipped a page? I check the page numbers. I was on page four, and now I'm on page five. That seems right. Only, what if my copy has a manufacturing defect that I've never noticed before and the page numbers are misprinted? I reread what I think is the previous paragraph, and then I read what I think is the next paragraph. I've read this book a dozen times before, and I'm fairly certain that those paragraphs come right after one another. 
What if two pages have gotten glued together, though, so tightly that I can no longer access the words in between? I press my nose against the page number, the parchment soaking up my preteen sheen of nose grease, and study it, hard. Page four, page five. I stare at the book, turning the page back and forth and back and forth. It takes me one hour to read ten pages. That night, I place the book delicately back on my shelf, now slightly worried that by taking so long to read it, and in turn by having so frequently taken it on and off the shelf, I will have frayed the corners, and I will have broken the book. I will have destroyed it. It will soon be unreadable. It takes me a week to read the novel. Ten years later, I do not read anymore. There are books on my shelf, but I do not touch them, and I certainly do not read them. If I pick a book from the shelf, I will have to read it, and if I read it, I will skip pages, or I will misunderstand the words within, and then I won't really have read the book at all, will I? These obsessions, have I properly turned from page 4 to page 5, started banal, and the maladaptive compulsions, if I study the page numbers very closely, get so close to them that I can see the imperfections in the ink, then maybe I can get from one page to the next without having skipped anything in between, are cumbersome but manageable. By the time I am in college, they are anything but. I begin to spend my evenings recounting my day, making sure there are no unaccounted for chunks of time during which I might have done something wrong. Did I give my assignment to my music theory professor? I remember handing it to them. I remember the feeling of the loose-leaf paper on my fingers, and I remember the sensation of it sliding against my skin as the instructor collected it for me. Or am I misremembering that? Instead of turning it in, did I say something nasty to him? Did I tell him to go away? Did I tell him that I hate his class and that I'm quitting music school? That doesn't seem like something I'd say. But can I be sure? I have to be sure. I have to recount my day minute by minute to be sure. Worse, did I hurt someone today? Did I kill someone? Did I wreck my car? Did I crash my car into a pedestrian? So again, I, I can't remember exactly where I found that reading, but it was from years ago. Um, it was just on an OCD blog that I remember being a fan of. Uh, and I, that resonated so much with me that I had to clip it, um, and save it to my drive. Um, it's just such a, wow, uh, that just hits home so much for me. Um, I hope that resonated with some of you as well. <sighs> so, I have rambled about myself enough for one week. I'm sure I'll have plenty more time to do that in the future. Uh, so... Again, I am really looking forward to having our first guest on within the next couple of weeks. I've been talking to them uh, here and there over the last week or so. Really great story. Very excited to share them with you. Very grateful to them for offering to be on the podcast. If you have any questions or you're interested in being on the show, please visit us at justcheckingpodcast.com. You can find our email address there. We'd love to hear from some of you guys with questions, concerns, or any interest in being on the show. But until next week, you have been listening to Just Checking, an OCD podcast featuring stories from sufferers of obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm Ellen Campbell. Thank you guys for listening. I will see you guys next week.